Good morning, everybody. Welcome back. So glad you're here uh, on this Tuesday. And uh, we're continuing uh, on our theme this week of exploring uh, and being equipped in uh, the kingdom of God. And we're delighted to have back with us Pastor Dave Johnson, who's been the lead senior teaching pastor at Church of the Open Door for 38 years. And uh, he and his wife, Bonnie, also have four kids and eight grandkids. And for about two and a half of those 38 years, when I was a college student here, I participated, went to, served at Open Door. And um, those were some of the most form formative years uh, sitting under his teaching and learning about what we're talking about today, of uh, the reality of the kingdom of God right here, right now. And, uh, and so I, I, I am really honored and uh, really excited to have Dave uh, back up here. And just a reminder uh, in chapel, uh, when, on Mondays, uh, we're uniting around the word. It's preaching that exhorts. And uh, Tuesdays, uniting around witness, testimonies that encourage. And uh, Pastor Dave is a fire hydrant of biblical encouragement and exhortation. So, Will, and you guys right here, you're in a splash zone. Uh, so you want to just uh, gear up. And uh, so would you give a, a warm Northwestern welcome? And so would you extend one hand out over Dave and one hand up as we pray for our own hearts as well. Father, thank you so much that we get to be here. And as we just sung, that we declare the purpose of why we are. We are here for you. We are here to worship you. And Lord, we want to pray right now for your servant, for, for Pastor Dave. We thank you so much that he is uh, here with us now for the second day in a row. Would you fill him with your spirit as he, as he preaches, as he teaches um, from the fountain of the truth of your word. And Lord, would you also fill uh, us with your spirit, that our hearts would be ready and receptive, that it would be good soil to produce good kingdom fruit that lasts and abides for your glory. And in Christ's name we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you, Justin. Good prayer. <laughs> That's great. That's funny. This is the spitting zone. I, I actually had some people in our church um, show up a couple days with an umbrella in the front row right there, so it's kind of gross. Anyway, I love this topic. We're talking about the kingdom of God. Yesterday, if you were here, you may recall that our thinking revolved around this question. Uh, what exactly are we asking for when we're asking for the kingdom to come this morning, I want to take the question and shift it a bit from what exactly are we asking for when we're asking for the kingdom to come to what exactly is the message of the kingdom? What is the message of the kingdom? Because when Jesus came proclaiming that the kingdom of God is now at hand, it is within your reach in Matthew chapter 4, he called this kingdom that he was proclaiming the good news. In, in fact, literally in verse 21 of Matthew 4. He called it the gospel of the kingdom. He came into their synagogues proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. So here's the question. What exactly is the gospel? You kind of all know that. It's kind of a dumb question. What is the gospel according to Jesus? What is the essential message of the gospel uh, that Jesus came to proclaim? And in some ways, because of what we talked about yesterday, we already have a clue about that because we did talk about it yesterday because in places like Mark chapter 1, Matthew chapter 5, Luke chapter 10, even Acts chapter 1, uh, it says that he was proclaiming to them the good news of the gospel, that the kingdom of God, that the power and the presence, that the rule and reign of God um, was now accessible to ordinary people just like you and just like me, not just heaven when you die, though heaven when you die is included in this 
This kingdom experience of the rule and reign of God in my life and in a school, in a church, is for, for right here and right now, thus making it possible to become a different kind of people, um, living a, a different kind of life, an eternal kind of life under the rule and reign of God. And so we pray thy kingdom come, thy will be done in my life and in yours in this room and in this school, not just a future hope of heaven when we die, though that's included, a present reality right here and right now, but come back to the question now. Um, what is the essential message of the gospel that Jesus came to preach? What is the gospel? Seems like a simple question. Uh, but now just imagine this. Going to a church, pretty much I think any Christian church would do, might be the church you grew up in. This would apply to the church I grew up in. Uh, maybe the church you go to now. And ask that question. Uh, the people milling about, maybe the pastor, I don't know. Um, what is the gospel? People might look at you and go, how long have you been here? I mean, don't you, you know what that is? What is the gospel according to Jesus? Here's my question about that question. What kind of answer would you expect to get? It's fascinating, really. I was, uh, really, uh, I was reading a book uh, some time ago by Scott McKnight. He wrote a book entitled The King Jesus Gospel. And in the book, he tells his story early on in the book of meeting a friend of his at the airport just by chance. He was a pastor friend of his, and he was talking about a book he was about to write. In fact, it was this book he was about to write. And he started to talk about the gospel, and he asked his friend this question. The question actually wasn't, what was the gospel that Jesus preached? The question Scott McKnight asked his friend, this pastor, was did Jesus preach the gospel? That's a, but, 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 that's a fascinating uh, question. Um, but the pastor said, no, no, Jesus didn't preach the gospel because maybe you even know what he was going to say because Jesus hadn't died on the cross he hadn't risen from the dead to forgive us of our sins and while that thought it's a fascinating thought I remember I'm reading that going whoa 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 I got to rewind that a little bit the thought that Jesus himself uh, didn't actually preach the gospel or maybe even understand it himself because he hadn't died and risen and hadn't um, forgiven all the sins that the whole thing hadn't happened. Uh, that pastor's response uh, might actually be a little more consistent with, than we might expect with what a lot of people actually do think about what the gospel is. What is the essential message of the gospel? Because to many, the gospel is this. And it is this, but it's more than this. But it's reduced down to this, that Jesus died on the cross, which is true. And he rose from the dead, which is true. To forgive us of our sins, which is true. True, and if you believe those things are true, which I do, think you do, um, we declare you to be saved, uh, particularly from hell. Again, this is partly coming from my background. I grew up in church, and it was all about not going to hell. I would have accepted you as my personal savior to avoid the way they described hell. Um, and you go to heaven when you die if you believe the right thing about Jesus. When I was a kid, growing up in church, my dad was a pastor, loved the church, loved his church, our church, is what I grew up in. The ultimate question, however, I just remember this, this was always the question we were asking of each other and everybody else in the world, are you saved? Uh, so we're always trying to get people saved, which was a fine thing to do, but primarily get them saved from hell, because it was all about going to heaven when you die, so are you saved was the question. I was a squirrely kid. I know that's hard to believe. I, um, I had ADD before ADD was cool. Um, 
I, they didn't have a name for ADD. They just called me Squirrely. The guy is weird. I couldn't sit still. So I, but I'm a going to church guy because my dad is a pastor. It's great. And I can't sit still, but I have this vivid memory of sitting in church one day. My dad is preaching. I'm, I don't know what I was doing. I was being myself, which wasn't good. And um, at the end of the service, I had made some noise. I don't know what I had done, but some lady, I, I was probably nine years old. A lady turn, stands up at the end, turns around, looks at me. She had the face of the Wicked Witch of the West. I'm just saying, I may not remember it entirely accurately, but then she said to me, Are you saved? Like that. <laughs> I'm nine. I'm nine going, I want to be from you, anyway. <laughs> and I'm going to tell you something. I think this question, are you saved, is a real important question. I am not... Eliminating that is a significant question. But over the years, a more compelling question to me, working my theology, but also my experience of the church and people in the church who I deeply love, a more compelling question has become, are you alive? Are you awake? Um, and by the way, I didn't just make that up. This is a metaphor that Paul uses several times. For instance, in Ephesians 5, 14, he says, awaken sleeper. Um, other places, he might say, get saved, awaken sleeper, and rise from the dead. Wait, 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 wait. Kind of stuck two metaphors together. Awaken sleeper and rise from the dead. Well, what is he? Is he asleep or is he dead? <sighs> Dial into this metaphor because there's more than one way to be awake and asleep. There's more than one way to be dead and alive. You can be physically asleep. Some of you are. I'm trying to prevent that by yelling really loud. Um, and then you can be, and you can be emotionally asleep or awake. You can be emotionally dead or alive. Some of us are there are places in your life you maybe know it, you maybe don't because you're asleep. That are emotionally dead to you, and you can be spiritually awake or asleep, um, alive or dead. Awaken sleeper and rise from the dead. Says Paul. Here's why you need to be risen from the dead. Because we are not just sinners who need forgiveness, though we are sinners who need forgiveness. We are not just sinners who need forgiveness. We were dead in our transgressions and in our sins. But God, being full of mercy and grace, has made us alive together with Christ. So are you alive is the question I find really compelling. Are you awake? Um, and if you think about that, it's actually a harder question to answer than are you saved? Because we were saved because we believed the right thing about Jesus. And I knew I believed that was the right thing, so that's how we knew um, that he died on the cross, that he rose from the dead to forgive us of our sins. And if we believe those things are true, we go to heaven when we die. We are declared to be saved primarily from hell. We go to heaven when we Die. But if you think that through, and I'm being a little bit, I'm pushing this to the edge a little bit, um, uh, it, it's, it's, it's actually not much more than kind of a deal. We're not being invited into a different kind of life, an eternal kind of life, made possible by putting confidence in Jesus, believing in him, and following him into this eternal kind of life. It's a little bit more like a deal, where you say the magic words, God waves the magic wand, he declares you to be saved, uh, primarily from hell. You're going to heaven 
when you die and now behave yourself the rest of the way until we get there anyway. One of the stories I've used to try to illustrate this, it's actually one of my favorites, it comes from a movie. Um, it's not very deep, it's not deep at all. Uh, there's no theological content at all. Um, but there is a connection here and I'll explain it to you as I go. Monty Python and the Holy Grail, thank you very much. I'll be here all week. My brother can do this with the British accent. I can't do that, but just humor me here. In the scene, Arthur and his knights are on a quest for the Holy Grail. You know all that. To find it, they have to get to a castle, but between them and the castle is this huge abyss with a rickety bridge as the only way across to get to the castle. To cross the bridge, the knights have to answer three questions correctly, uh, and if they don't, they get thrown, actually catapulted, boing, 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 into the abyss, like that. Um, first knight comes up to the gatekeeper, very nervous, obviously, because they don't know what to expect. First question from the gatekeeper, what's your name? He states his name. Second question, what's your quest? He states his quest, the Holy Grail. Third question, what's your favorite color? <laughs> he states his favorite color, red. And he's allowed to cross the bridge and get to the castle. Second knight takes his place before the gatekeeper, very relieved. <laughs> I know my favorite color, so it's going to be easy. Um, first question, what's your name? He states his name. Second question, what's your quest? He states his quest. Third question, what's the capital of Assyria? <laughs> well, I don't know. <laughs> and he is catapulted into the abyss. Third night, terrified, because he doesn't know what to expect. What's your name? He states his name. What's your quest? He states his quest. Third question, what's your favorite color? Red. No, blue! <laughs> and he gets catapulted into the abyss. Finally, Arthur, King Arthur, comes and presents himself to the gatekeeper. First question, what's your name? He states his name, Arthur, King of the Brits. Second question, what's your quest? He states his quest, the pursuit of the Holy Grail. Third question, what's the airspeed velocity of a coconut-laden swallow? Well, that depends, says Arthur. Um, is it an African swallow or a European swallow? Well, I don't know, says the gatekeeper. And he gets catapulted into the abyss. He's gone into the abyss. None of which, by the way, has anything at all to do with this talk. I just thought it was funny. <laughs> Not that funny, evidently. Actually, the point is this. Um, that uh, the understanding that some have of the gospel of the kingdom is kind of like that. And I know it's a stretch, but it's kind of like that. That when you die, you come to a gate with a gatekeeper, the pearly gates, if you will, and the gatekeeper will ask you a question. Why should I let you into God's kingdom? Because God's kingdom is all about heaven when you die. And at that point, what you need is the right answer. Um, and if you have it, just die on a cross, forgive me on my sin, uh, then you're in. And um, that's quite oversimplified. But the problem with that, among many problems, I think, is this. That there are any number of people, numbers of people, and... They'll go to church um, who believe absolutely the right thing about Jesus. They have in their heads the right answers. They really are the right answers. But like the Pharisees who know the scriptures, indeed in John 5, 39, 
Jesus says of the Pharisees, you search the scriptures thinking that by what you know of the scriptures, you have eternal life. But it's all in your head. You have no life. They are spiritually dead. Jesus was saying to them, um, and again, keep aware, there's more than one way to be dead and alive, sleep and awake. You can be physically dead and alive, emotionally, spiritually dead. You're spiritually dead. You know it, but you don't. There's no life in you. His name was Ray. Um, and Ray has become a type for me. In fact, I sometimes think I'm being a little hard on him. I may remember him differently for you know the purposes of this illustration. But Ray was a guy in my dad's church. Um, and my dad had two churches in his life. And so I was about nine years old, ten years old, and I knew Ray. He sat right over here. I'm keeping my eyes closed because I'm not picking out anybody who's sitting right over here. He was there every Sunday. He had his Bible. His Bible was marked up in every margin. He knew the Bible better than God. I'm just saying... Um, 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 theologically astute, thought the right way, had the right answers, um, not a nice person, um, mean and gossipy and judgmental of everyone, prickly. Um, the, the, the weird thing about Ray was, as much as he knew, he never changed. He never changed. And you know what else was weird? No one expected him to. <laughs> no one expected him. He would ever take on the character of Christ, because he saved, I mean, he saved, we kind of wish he would be nicer, but that's extra, um, somehow. Uh, it's weird, you know, as a 10-year-old, I'm not really astute theologically, so I don't know, you know, this, uh, but, I, but I can smell a light, <laughs> you know, you can kind of go, I, he's scary, and I go the other way. Other people, I go, huh, that smells good, I think I'll go there, there was something very telling about that kind of thing, and it's not an unusual story, actually. Indeed, ironically, the thing I just described to you is often, often happens, it happens most often, actually, in the context of some sort of religious thing. Um, indeed, religious people, people who have gone to my church and I grew up with, are not always such wonderfully genuine people are there too, but often it's the religious people who are the hardest to awaken. Mostly because they think they're already awake. They don't know they're sleeping. Well, if you're sleeping, you don't know you're sleeping, so you wake up. Fascinating metaphor. Um, to the Pharisees, one of the things Jesus said to them was, you know, your real problem um, is that you say you see. Think on that, think on that. Because if you think you see, you're not going, okay, you're not rubbing your eyes, you're not wondering if there's more, you go, you're the one who knows, and you have your real problem. You think you know. Ah, wonder about that, said Jesus to the Pharisees, and this problem is most prevalent. I don't think I'd preach this at the University of Minnesota. This kind of thing is going to happen in a, in a spiritual context where the real life of God is, but there's a lot of other junk in it, too. And Jesus, by the way, wasn't the only one to have conflict with religious kinds of people. John did as well. John the Baptist in Matthew 3. Some Pharisees had shown up at John's baptizing. And the reason they were showing up was because they wanted to check out this latest spiritual fad. This thing that was going, this hot thing that was happening. But also, the Pharisees were always trying to figure out if they're right or not. You know, they're 
kind of the theology police. That's what the Pharisees were. I don't know if he's, remember all the interactions that Jesus had with the Pharisees and John the Baptist too. They were always trying to trap him. They were always trying to trick him. They would ask him a question because they wanted to know if he's kosher. That's a Jewish thing. Anyway, um, if he's biblically correct. And um, so they would tie each other in knots. Well, in this particular situation where the Pharisees come down to John's baptizing, John sees them and just is such a gentle, warm, you know, welcoming person. He says, you brood of vipers. Can you imagine the welcome people at the door in your church? Can you you, you, anyway, they wouldn't last very long. Actually, I'm reading John 3 out of uh, Eugene Peterson's uh, translation, paraphrased uh, the message. You brood of vipers, who do you think, what do you think you're doing? Slithering down here to the river. Um, do you think that a little water on your snake skins, a little religious ceremony, is, is going to make any difference? It's your life that needs to change. Something on the inside, not your skin. Um, you're always changing your, your skin and polishing it out there. Something inside needs to change. I'm baptizing people here who want to turn in their old life for a new life, for an alive-to-God life, for an awakened-from-their-slumber life, from an eternal kind of life, right here and right Now, Mark's Gospel adds this um, in Mark 1.15. I love this. Again, from Eugene Peterson's The Message. The preliminaries have all been taken care of. The time is fulfilled. So the kingdom of God is now accessible to everyone. So review your plans for living and base your life on this remarkable opportunity to enter into a different kind of life and alive to God life, an eternal kind of life, aware, awake, right here, right now, an eternal kind of life. I've been throwing that little phrase around. I want to think about that just a bit. Uh, and think about it this way. We all have a wire down our back that's bothering us. Okay, there it is. Okay, good. Squirrel. That's an ADD thing. Sorry. Um, <laughs> we, all have a, we, we, all have, we all have a kind of life. Um, every human being has a kind of life. Uh, but so do animals and so do plants. Think about a plant and not a plastic one, a real one. Plants are alive and they interact with uh, the humidity of the air. They, they react to the sun. They react to the nutrients in the soil. They are alive. They have a kind of life. Animals are alive as well. And they have a kind of life. It's a different kind of life than a plant's life. If I had a little puppy up here, or maybe a kitten, although I killed them all off yesterday. You had to be in chapel. Um, and I had a little ball of yarn, and I was just bouncing it like that. What would the cat do or the puppy do? They would start going like this, right? So if the plant's over here and I started, what would the plant do? This is like really hard questions. They would do nothing. Why? Well, you're stupid, Dave. It's a plant. <laughs> it doesn't have that kind of life. It doesn't have the kind of life that if you do a ball of yarn, it's going to go like that. Animals have that kind of life, but it's a different kind of Life. Imagine now a 10-year-old kid sitting up here with me um, doing flashcards for, with math problems. 4 plus 4 is 8. 8 plus 8 is 16. Um, and they got it right. And I brought her over to the kitten. Give him the flashcard. What would the kitten do? These are stupid questions, I know. Wouldn't do anything. Why? Because the kitten, the cat, the puppy, doesn't have that kind of life. It's dead. 
to the, to the, to the carbs. There's no connection whatsoever. Connect the dots just a little bit. See, the reason some people don't respond to God um, is not just because they don't know the information. It's because they are dead to that kind of life. They are asleep to that kind of reality. So are you saved? Is a really important question. More compelling, I think. Might be. Are you awake? Are you alive? Um, together with Christ, but hear now the gospel of the kingdom. Into all of that. It's recorded in John chapter 5. Again, reading from the message, beginning in verse 19. I'm telling I'm telling you this straight. The Father loves the Son and includes Him in everything He's doing. But you haven't seen a half of it yet, for in the same way that the Father raises the dead and creates life, so does the Son. And the Son gives life to anyone who wants it. Neither He nor the Father shuts anyone out. It's urgent that you listen carefully to this. Anyone who believes what I am saying right now and aligns himself or herself with the Father and has in fact put me in charge. In other words, um, borrowing from the language of yesterday's talk, have been praying, thy kingdom come, thy will be done in me. Your right to rule in me is established. Um, bring the rule and reign of God to me, that person has at this very moment the real, lasting life. This person has taken a giant step from the world of the dead to the world of the living. It's urgent that you get this. For the time has arrived, says John. I mean right now, when dead men and women will hear the voice of God and hearing it will come alive. thereby exchanging a plant-life existence for an eternal, alive-to-God kind of existence. And that is the good news of the kingdom of God. So, beloved, let me, let me end with this. Um, the evangelistic question is not just, it includes this, but the evangelistic question is not just, if you were to die tonight... Where would you go? The evangelistic question, in addition to that, more present than that, would be this. If you are reasonably confident that you're going to live tonight, what kind of life do you want? Okay, what kind of life do you want? Um, how about an eternal kind of life? Right here, right now, alive to God, right here right now, resulting in heaven when you die, but, but right here, right now, under the reign and rule of God, and yeah, you wander away, but then come back, um, or, or are you satisfied with a plant-like existence where you have all the right answers, and that's your security, there's just more, there's more than that. The good news of the kingdom of God is that you can exchange the plant-like existence <laughs> for a different kind of life. It can begin actually with something as simple and not, not looking and not make a big thing about it at all. It can begin with a simple prayer. Whisper it. Just whisper it. Thank you.
a right to rule. I fighting you, pushing you away. People come to life when they start whisper, whispering prayers like that, desiring life like that. And, 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 and every time we pray things like that, people come, people come to life right here, right now. And I don't know if this is the best part of it or not, but when I close this, this, yeah, <laughs> um, we come to life, but then, but then there's more, more life. There's more and more and more life. Colossians 3. Um, in Colossians 2, Paul has been doing this thing about you were dead in your transgressions and in your sins. You weren't just a sinner who needed forgiveness. You were a dead person who needed resurrection. God did that. Then in Colossians 3, verse 1, he says, And now those of you who have been made alive by Christ keep seeking those things above where Christ is. And he goes on to the rest of the chapter to talk about the ways that we can become more and more and more alive, more and more and more awake. Have you ever had an awakening? Yes, you have. After you got saved, yes, you have. When you saw more, it got better, it got bigger, and that's the life in the kingdom of God. Welcome to this life. It's going to get bigger, it's going to get better. Continually ask God to show you even, where am I dead? You are alive in Christ, okay? Done deal. Where are you dead? What needs to be awakened in you, in me, in us? Um, hmm. Holy Spirit, come into our sleepy place. That's a pretty safe prayer, theologically accurate, I think. Lord, come into our dead places. We are alive. We love you, but there's so many places that are still dead and asleep. Holy Spirit, come and make us. Uh, just pray with me. Um, Spirit, I, I, I just, I do, I, I have a sense of your energy in this room. I know, I know me well enough to know um, them that, that we all have these places that still need a touch from you, healing from you, an awakening. And, and, and I, I just declare, I just speak over all of you students, the love of God for you. Oh, you have no idea. And desires more. Um, life. Awake. Aware. And when, when I think of the world and the mess we are in, I can't think of anything we need more than young men and women who are in the process of being awakened and in the process of becoming more and more alive and in Jesus' name. As you do that on this campus, may that life and light and awareness of your kingdom and life spread, spread and spread and spread. May your kingdom come into the darkest place, most desperate place.